0: Atopic Dermatitis 360, Real-World Strategies to Improve Outcomes, Ages 6 to 18, Mild to Moderate. I'm Dr. Lawrence Eichenfield. I'm a professor of dermatology and pediatrics and vice chair in the Department of Dermatology, Chief of Pediatric and Adolescent Dermatology at Rady Children's Hospital San Diego and University of California San Diego School of Medicine. This program is approved for 0.5 CME, CNE, CPE, and AAPA credit hours. You can download a PDF of the presentation under the Event Resources tab on the left side of your screen under the headshot. You will be directed back to the landing page after the webinar to complete the post-test and evaluation. You can then download or print your certificate. The program is provided by North American Center for Continuing Medical Education, LLC, an HMP company, and this program is sponsored by an educational grant from Pfizer. The learning objectives are to discuss atopic dermatitis treatment approaches, specific to ages six to 18, for mild to moderate atopic dermatitis. Let's start off by looking at the epidemiology of childhood eczema. So this is a uh, world view on the the atopic dermatitis prevalence, and this is looking specifically at 2 to 11 years of age. So our discussion today is really sort of 6 up to just about 18. And you can see that at 2-year-olds, the United States has about a 10% prevalence, and there is some variation around the world in this large internet-based service. If we click over to the broader 0 to 18, we have 9% prevalence. So basically, we know the first few years of life has the highest prevalence of atopic dermatitis. And then there's a little bit of decrement. But when we're talking about the 6 to 17, almost 18 age group, you still have a very high rate of atopic uh, dermatitis, some of whom presented as very young children and have persistent atopic dermatitis, and others whose disease has developed later in um, childhood. And this is one of the interesting things that was brought home by a, this great study, the Paternaster study, which was basically looking at a birth cohort over time and showed that there are various disease trajectories. So first it included patients who had, who had sort of transient uh, uh, dermatitis. That's the line in green. But ignore that line. But then you see that there's a, a mid-onset uh, atopic dermatitis starts in mid-childhood and then resolves over time, and then there's a later onset resolving atopic dermatitis, and then there's our classic in purple early onset that then resolves by five to six years of age, but there's also an early onset that persists over time and an early onset that resolves late. So it's an oversimplification, I think, that atopic dermatitis starts in young childhood and then goes away. And certainly when you're dealing with our six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven-year-old, many of them will have persistent atopic dermatitis from early childhood, uh, uh, others uh, uh, later onset disease. And our adolescents generally, uh, most of them will be persistent childhood atopic derm that's heading into adulthood, while others will be newer onset. The risk factors for persistence into later life include age older than four years of age, um, At the onset of the, uh, I'm sorry, uh, patients who who were at least four years of age and had onset at infancy or onset after two years of age. So, in dealing with your six to eighteen-year-old, you very quickly can establish was this early onset and they still have their disease, so they're already in a group that may be persistent, may be heading to persistence into adolescence and adulthood. Um, And um, if um, the uh, um, if their onset was uh, after two years of age. Parental history uh, of ATP also is a higher risk factor uh, for uh, persistence of disease. And of course, the more severe the disease, the more chance it's going to be that there will be um, persistence over time. Now, um, diagnostic features of atopic dermatitis you're very familiar with. Uh, We have pruritus, uh, uh, we have the examinous lesions, but also the age-specific patterns. So particularly when we're talking about our six-year-olds up to adolescence, you're basically going to have the pattern between childhood and adult. You'll have, uh, antecubital popliteal fossa involvement very commonly, often neck involvement and in, a uh, facial involvement and in well, uh, as well. Once you start to hit the adolescence, it's very common. You can get, get hand involvement as well, and hand eczema so should be something that's particularly looked for. We know the, uh, the, Clinical features, in other words, are pretty constant across these years, but, of course, it's, it's the, the bigger differences are going to relate to the extent of the disease and the severity of, of the disease because that and the persistence can be highly variable in this population. We should note the clinical findings can include ichthyosis vulgaris. That's important in terms of registering the degree of the, uh, of the cirrhosis and a dry skin that may be part of our management, um, as well as like kenification and the erythema of eczematous dermatitis. So in evaluating children with atopic dermatitis, of course, you're trying to get a sense of, um, it does uh, the disease look like eczema? You want to review the personal and family history of uh, eczema, as well as erosis and dry skin. Neonatal uh, onset. So in other words, if I have an eight-year-old who's presenting with new onset atopic dermatitis, I would like to know if um, um, if if they if it's if it's a new onset in the last few years or if they started as as babies. And then, of course, other atopic conditions, which both impact on the, the disease and on the family um, um, and are associated and may require management. I try to examine the current symptoms, how bad are the rashes, the itch associated with the rashes, uh, the primary and secondary findings. And then, of course, it's not just what I'm seeing that day in the office, whether there's in, whether the disease is intermittent or, or um, if it's very persistent, is I think very helpful in terms of getting a sense of the severity the disease, uh, disease assessment is rather interesting uh, in this uh, population because you know that if you look at a categorization standpoint, this is actually looking at zero to eighteen categorization in a big perspective question based survey by Jonathan Silverberg. You can see that about two thirds of of childhood to adolescent atopic dermatitis is, is, is reported as mild disease. 26% is moderate, and 7% severe. So here, we're emphasizing mild to moderate disease, which is the vast bulk, but then there's this overlap to moderate-severe disease, which we'll discuss further in a, in a different talk. But how is it that you go, uh, uh, go on and decide whether a patient is mild to moderate or moderate to severe? And my takeaway is that assessing severity in clinical practice, is very different than in clinical studies. You know, in clinical studies, we have our standard tools. For instance, we use the EZ score, the Eczema Area and Severity Index. I know that this score is hardly ever used in clinical practice, okay? But it's a score that gets scored up, you know, zero to 72, and then there are these bands that would define moderate to severe disease. So if you have a score of zero to seven, you have mild atopic dermatitis and moderate 7 to 21, severe 21 to 50 and the very severe is 50 to 72. Um, most people will not use this in clinical practice. It takes about if you're really quick about 5 minutes to do a score, but if you're not doing it all the time it's 10-12 minutes, we generally not something done in clinical practice. The score is also done in clinical studies that basically is there's an objective score out and then there's a score out that includes questions on on itch and on sleep. Again, it's a scoring system used in clinical trials. Other things we use are the POM, the patient-oriented eczema measure, body surface area, and then quality of life scores. And um, we'll go through that later. I actually think that assessment of body surface area is something that's not uh, not, um, uh, something that's bad to do. But generally, severity practice in clinical practice is gestalt. So, or what I wrote down here, the UOIGA, that's the unofficial IGA, meaning you look at, you look at the, what you're seeing that day and get a sense of what's happened over time, and you can say, boy, this patient's pretty clear, this patient's almost clear, this patient's mild, moderate, or severe. And I think that assessment, which is really trying to look at the the qualities of the eczema and the extent of the eczema is highly reasonable. So what do I do in my clinical practice if in, in assigning you know, a category? It's going to be the extent of the disease, how much disease is there on the skin, the severity of the signs of atopic dermatitis, the qualities of the eczema, is it oozing, is it crusting, the degree of uh, uh, redness, are there excoriations, the symptom severity, how bad is the itch and how bad is the sleep disturbance, And then the disease course, which is really the surrogate for quality of life scores. I always ask when's the last time the skin was totally clear of eczema. I think that's really important. uh, a question, and then I'm trying to get a sense of whether it's something that's there all the time, which in about 40% of my patients uh, it is, but of course I have a selected patient group, um, uh, uh, or if it's something where it comes under control, it may stay under control with moisturizers for, uh, you know, for weeks or months at a time. The older we get, the more chance that patients may be more persistent, it seems, um, but um, um, there are a variety of factors that will influence this. And then the life impact is really how much it's impacting the individual. I'd like to do a a shout out to measuring body surface area as something that can be really helpful in assessing the disease severity from visit to visit. Um, I've started to do what I call Gestalt body surface area. Uh, Well, technically the POM being 0.5% is the most consistently reliable. I basically use the child's hand as 1%, and that uh, as uh, uh, so, uh, hand size area on the body is 1% body surface area. And in this age group, it's actually pretty easy. And while I have on this slide the Lund-Brower score to be more detailed, generally. If a patient's got 18 hands of eczema or less, it's pretty easy for me to look. They have antecubital fossa bilaterally and popliteal fossa and not much else for the milder disease. And I measure up, boy, that's about five hands in total. That's going to be 5% body surface area. And so that 0 to 18 or, or, you know, 80 to 100% is pretty easy. 50% is pretty easy, and you can just shalt in between. I think it's something that can be helpful to assess the eczema. Now, we're trying to assess the severity because we know the impact of the disease. I'd like to read this. This is sort of a summary of the impact of atopic dermatitis, which really pushes our desire to treat. So um, starting at 9 o'clock, that's the the eczematous rashes, um, and that's tied in with the signs and symptoms. And if you move up to 11 o'clock, we have the symptoms, the pruritus and intense itch. Um, Sleep disturbance clearly impacts on the individual, impacts on their ability to go to school in this age group or to to work, um, and it uh, impacts on the really impact of the disease. It may have neurobehavioral impact as well. Atopic comorbidities, which include our traditional asthma, um, allergic uh, rhinitis, and conjunctivitis, other comorbidities, higher rates of bacterial viral uh, in- infections, fungal infections, the mental health effects, some conflicting evidence, but some positive evidence impacting cardiovascular disease with atopic dermatitis. Impaired quality of life, obviously, it can impact on um, uh, choice of activities and activities. And then schoolwork productivity, whether patients are going to school and how effective they are in school or work situations is uh, 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 very much uh, influenced by their uh, degree of atopic dermatitis. We know that sleep burden is significant for patients and families. This data shows that the that parents report 68 percent of their children having sleep disturbed. This is in zero to six-year-olds, so for here we're looking at the six-year-olds, so to speak. Children were co-sleeping very commonly in the younger age group. Parents reported being bothered by co-sleeping and um, um, 61% of parents reported their sleep being disturbed by atopic derm. There's a variety of studies that have shown impact even into adolescents on maternal sleep patterns in atopic dermatitis. So we know that the impact of active uh, eczema is, um, um, impacts the patients themselves. There can be emotional distress and billing, limitation activities, behavioral problems, sleep disturbance, and in caregivers, um, you know, exhaustion, and treatment-associated costs, which include the burden of topical care. Now, this is, of course, associated with the severity of the disease. So the, the mild patients, there's generally less of this, but don't, don't not assess it. <laughs> um, and, but once we hit to moderate disease, it's really quite significant. There is a very well-developed literature looking at uh, physical and uh, mental health effects Uh, especially anxiety and depression in our moderate-severe patients with increased risks, as well as increased risks of depression, and anxiety of ADHD in several studies. But let's move over to management of atopic dermatitis, because in clinical practice, that's really the punchline, and there are a variety of different algorithms that we use to discuss the disease. Um, um, I thought it's uh, reasonable, this is sort of a... um, a, a step-up care algorithm that's uh, a, adapted, uh, I say liberally adapted, because uh, it was changed uh, by a few people over over time, including me, um, coming from Mark Gnavich's B- B- article. But it basically starts with the basic principle that of uh, mild and moderate with step-up therapy and then moving on to severe. I want to highlight mild and moderate, obviously. That's what we're talking about in our six to 17-year-olds for this talk. Basic skin care is the standard, Uh, good skin care, liberal moisturizer use, avoidance of triggers or irritants. If you have mild disease, generally topical corticosteroids to inflame skin. And whether you use two weeks to get started and then some people will then decrease their frequency to Q day and then go to twice a week beyond clearance, or if you do a treat for one to two weeks and three to seven days beyond clearance, as it says in this particular algorithm. Those are standard methods. You can consider use of chrysoboral or TCIs um, uh, as substitution for topical corticosteroids, either to delicate skin areas or um, uh, instead of topical corticosteroids. But when we step up to moderate disease, basically if your people are still symptomatic, um, and uh, they're doing the basic management, but they're having persistent or more frequent flaring disease. Then you see the, the the light blue on the bottom. You're applying topical corticosteroids. Basically the same approach, but then you really want to have a standard maintenance uh, therapy. And um, I, I I still push the concept of proactive therapy or maintenance therapy with topical corticosteroids, TCIs, or topical crisaborole. And this is really trying to get long-term disease control. And that's something that we want across the spectrum of care. Now, I'm going to quickly review the standard topicals, just uh, highlighting where we're at in 6- to 17-year-olds, and the answer is topical corticosteroids. Obviously, a mainstay of therapy in the age group for mild to moderate disease. Um, There's variations in terms of whether people start with lower-potency topical corticosteroids or mid-potency topical corticosteroids. The age of the patient in this age group matters. So a six-year-old with mild to moderate disease, I'd probably start with a moderate potency topical corticosteroid. The older the patient is, the more I'd have a tendency to be more liberal with stronger topical corticosteroids. Um, And the more lichenified thicken the patient, the more I tend to use uh, more potent topical corticosteroids to get the patient under control. Main therapy with topical corticosteroids is totally appropriate. Very commonly, once to twice a week uh, to areas that commonly flare. The calcineurin inhibitors are uh, uh, steroid-sparing agents. Um, um, they can be used for delicate skin uh, areas. Uh, you're well aware of their use in their practice, but realize that the 0.1% tacrolimus is indicated greater than 15 years of age. So in the the uh, older age group, of some places you can get it earlier as needed, and guidelines allow you to use either tetracromes at different age groups. But your, but the prescription patterns, excuse me, the prescription guidelines from the FDA relate that only 0.03 should be used for two to, uh, you know, up to 15 years of age, and the 0.1% uh, after that. Topical chrysoboral as a, a newer alternative as a. Uh, non-steroidal topical, it's a PDE4, really novel non-steroid agent, and it's, uh, this diagram just basically shows that uh, PDE4 influences cyclic AMP consumption, and may be anti-inflammatory. Um, there's no limitation on the time course of use of these uh, agents, and this can be useful in mild to moderate disease, that's where it has a specific approval. And uh, the uh, safety studies looked uh, quite good um, with the topical chrysoboral. This was a, 48, it was a 48-week safety study, which was post the Phase three study. Um, and you can see the AIDS group included children that we're looking at in this particular talk, 349 to 17 years of age, as well as the adolescents' very low frequency of treatment-related adverse events No differences in the younger age groups, so relevant to this, it appeared to be quite well tolerated and safe in the study. Um, There was no differences in uh, adverse events over time, so no issues of like accumulation of of, of problems uh, or, you know, any immunosuppression uh, topically with its use, and no safety signals in either the vitals labs or infections of neoplasm and up to the one-year a study with this agent. Um, there are some topical agents that are in development at uh, the time of uh, recording this. There are some uh, JAK inhibitors. We'll come back to that more more in discussing uh, systemic agents briefly. But the JAK inhibitors um, uh, target different uh, 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 JAK and TIK receptors, so there's a pan-JAK inhibitor that's being developed for both atopic dermatitis and chronic hand dermatitis. Um, uh, ruxolitinib, and then uh, delgacidonib and then there's a, a novel aryl hydrocarbon receptor agonist called tapinaroff. Um, These will be a while yet before they may become as alternative uh, topical agents. The big summary is 6 to 17 years of age, most patients can be managed for long-term disease control with topical care, but not all. But the messaging for topical care is to treat to minimal rash, minimal pruritus, and minimal sleep disturbance. And then long-term disease control is the goal. And the reason why that's important is that if you're not getting that, then even in the mild to moderate group, of which some of them are moderate, you may need to step up to to disease care that's more aggressive. um, And you know, those patients who have moderate, severe, that you don't have long-term disease con- uh, control, you're not hitting these goals, then it's appropriate to step up. So when's it time for either photo or systemic therapy? Uh, uh, the answer is if the topicals used appropriately aren't working. This is an algorithm that actually goes through when's it time for systemic therapy, and the answer is moderate to severe disease, which we'll discuss more in another talk, But here in this talk, we have our moderate patients. So you have a patient with moderate disease. They haven't gotten better. It's impacting on their quality of life. They've been well-educated. They've done an intensive topical trial and done it correctly. You've considered other alternative diagnoses. Infections have been managed. You think about allergic contact dermatitis, but you don't think that's a big issue or they've been worked up. You consider phototherapy. um, And then... If that's where you're at, you should can go. You know, consider the step up to systemic therapy. Systemic therapy has all kinds of changes that's happening uh, in the field uh, uh, right now, and uh, I think that we've uh, uh, there's an incredible revolution in systemic therapy for all moderate uh, patients as well as severe patients. So, but start off where we're at which is looking at particularly our mild to moderate patients 6 to 18 years of age, and for this discussion, I'm discussing the moderate patients because those are the ones who, are gonna, who, are, uh, who can make it into this algorithm. So moderate disease, um, 6 to uh, uh, less than 18 years of age, the issue is that we haven't had specifically approved therapy. So phototherapy doesn't need specific approval. It can be an option in this age group. If um, one has availability of UVB, that's something to be considered, especially for a mild or moderate patient. That might be a fine approach. But our traditional systemic agents, cyclosporine, azathioprine, methotrexate, mycophenolate, are not approved for atopic dermatitis, and they are used, cyclosporine generally used more uh, as rescue therapy, um, and none of these agents were very commonly used in the United States for, for even our severe atopic dermatitis patients. Uh, when we did a survey of what systemic therapies were being used a few years ago, methotrexate was the most common, cyclosporin the, the second one, uh, occasionally systemic corticosteroids. They're what's used most commonly not in the hands of uh, specialists, and they're approved but not advised, and people still use them occasionally for rescue therapy, so to speak. But it's not a long-term disease strategy. But, of course, there's been a shift over. Now we have a specifically approved agent, uh, depiliumab, which is approved 12+. plus. So for this discussion, not yet approved 6 to 12 years of age, but that's on the horizon. And depending upon when you're listening to this talk, that may be the case already. But uh, the 12 to 17-year-olds uh, are now um, um, uh, uh, in an age group where uh, dupilumab is approved for essentially atopic dermatitis that you're otherwise unable to get under control with uh, topical uh, topical agents. And um, we'll discuss uh, um, um, that in more detail. But remember, in summary, our traditional systemics, methotrexate, most commonly used in the U.S., but still uncommonly used. It's not specifically approved in the U.S. Um, and um, Basically, this is a highly evolving area of clinical work. Our psychology of when to treat our moderate patients who haven 't come under disease control is much more aggressive now than it used to be. Um, um, but one should understand that the decision to use any of these agents there 's a variety of factors uh, which improve the general health of the, which in- include the general health of the individual, also the duration of therapy because uh, for instance, if we're going to use a biologic agent such as a dupilumab, we're well, generally you're going to plan to do that for six months to a year to get started, because with a biologic agent, you don't want to stop and start uh, the the treatment because of the concern that you may lose the efficacy over time. There may be the development of, uh, of uh, uh, drug antibodies, which can influence this. And this may be something that's a little bit different with some of the oral JAK inhibitors, a different kind of systemic agent moving forward. So our, our revolution is, uh, is happening in systemic therapy. Dupilumab, as of March 2019, is the First, uh, FDA drug approved for adolescents, so we're talking 12 to 17 in our uh, age group here. You notice the dosing is dependent upon weight with an initial loading dose and then Q2 week dosing can be used with without topical corticosteroids and, and studies, um, um, have been done six months to 12 years of age and it looks like that to 12-year-olds are being handled as a a particular group for approval. and As I said, could be approved at the time you're listening to this or about to be approved, but uh, that's the expectation uh, going forward. Further discussion to pilumab, I'll leave to a a different discussion in the moderate to severe uh, patients. But I did want to discuss the evolution of other systemic therapies, or oral, uh, so, uh, oral JAK inhibitors, as well, uh, are going to be uh, very interesting agents for atopic dermatitis. You see in this diagram that there are the basically four receptors, JAK1, 2, 3, and type 2, and basically these are important uh, um, receptors that influence on, on, on signals that then go within the nucleus and impact on transcription of a variety of cytokines. And the punchline is that different receptors will have profound effects on inflammation, but not with a generally gross immunosuppressive effect, or more importantly, a more selective immune-mediating effect that can impact on cytokines that are highly important in atopic dermatitis. These will be oral agents. There probably won't be a use of these agents with limitation of time. course, what I mean is that with the biologic agents, we generally will be doing longer-term courses. With the oral jack inhibitors, we may be treating for a year or six months, but we could be using three- or four-month uh, shorter course treatments as well. Anything I say about these drugs right now, you know, they're, they're in development. They're well along the way. None specifically approved at this time. But you should be aware that these targeted agents can be very helpful in the, in the care of patients we otherwise haven't driven to, good disease control. And what this chart shows is that this is an incredibly active field that the uh, systemic therapy development for atopic dermatitis is this fascinating time period with both other biologic agents targeting different elements of the cytokine or immune profile uh, in addition to the IL14 uh, dupilumab and then this development of these small um, m- molecular uh, agents um, including the uh, JAK inhibitors, which are very exciting in terms of their potential utility in atopic dermatitis as well. Uh, many of these are being developed There's adults first, although some of them um, um, are uh, quite exciting, such as apricidinib and others where they may be developing it at age 12. Uh, 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 onward, so we will see uh, these uh, hitting the age group of this particular discussion uh, probably within the next year or two. So putting it together in our mild to moderate patients six to seventeen years of age the 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 desire is to treat for the patients to have essentially to be essentially clear of rash, with good maintenance care, avoidance of triggers and irritants. Use intermittent topical anti-inflammatory medicines as needed, but if there's persistent frequently recurring disease, consider maintenance anti-inflammatory regimens, so-called proactive disease. As we get more moderate, we want standard regimen building uh, with maintenance disease to the point of long-term disease control. And if this cannot be established with topicals, step it up. And step it up to systemic agents, the, um, uh, we will have more agents in this armamentarium that it will allow us to really um, uh, more uh, effectively uh, treat our, disease, uh, our patient's disease and minimize the impact of the disease on the individual and on the family. So thank you very much, and I uh, hope this was a worthwhile discussion of uh, how we take care of our uh, mild to moderate patients 6 to 17 years of age.